This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, Kip Adams, Rusty Mansell from Dogs 24-7. I got a lot to cover, man. We got to talk about the NFL draft, seven Bulldogs taken. Uh, we've got to talk about next year's NFL draft and already some early draft buzz uh, for uh, for for a few guys, a few first round buzz. We're going to talk about a little bit about the undrafted free agents and and maybe a surprise or two. Surprise that a couple guys get, didn't get picked up and got to break all that down for you. And then in the last, uh, second half of the show, we want to talk about recruiting. There's just some stuff going on there. Uh, Georgia had a commitment that we've had and hadn't had a chance to talk about in Elijah Judy, and and uh, want to talk about kind of where everything is headed there. And let's jump right into it, Rusty. First round impressions of the NFL draft 2020, or just impressions overall. Uh, where do you start there? Well, I like to think that I went back and listened to our podcast from last week, and I kind of hit on the the part of uh, you know DeAndre Swift sliding maybe in the top of that second. And Isaiah Wilson was a guy that, by the way, both of you guys predicted right. Georgia would have two players in the first round. I predicted one. Um, I'll say this, that what I mentioned last week, I think played a factor in Isaiah Wilson. Once those four guys, the big four went off the board, there were only so many guys left and Isaiah Wilson, I think certainly benefited from that. What a great opportunity for him, uh, to go in the first round. I thought, you know, you put your personal feelings to the side and, and really understand these are all really good players, but man, what a. What a tough break there for DeAndre Swift not to get taken by Kansas City in that last pick, not just because it's a first-round draft pick, but because of the future. Uh, you know, Kansas City, man, they're going to be a team to deal with for many, many years with a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. They've got playmakers all around him. Uh, you know, they're certainly going to be a team that's going to get all this watch. He's going to get – he would have got a lot of touches. Now he's going to the lines to play with Matt Stafford and Isaac Nauta and those guys, and maybe they can – get things going in the right direction. But, man, you kind of hurt for DeAndre Swift right there. Not It probably hurt his pride a lot, but me looking down long-term and numbers and what you put up and those type of things. And, you know, man, he would have been a perfect fit, in my opinion, right there at, for Kansas City. Uh, but but kudos to Isaiah Wilson and uh, Andrew Thomas. We all felt that was better than what was going around about him. Uh, we couldn't kind of figure out some of the noise, but as it as we unfold it, unpack some of the things, we realized what we thought a lot of teams had Andrew Thomas number one offensive tackle. There's a lot of smoke around a lot of things, and when the Giants were able to jump on him, they did very quickly uh, to the tune of I think his I think his salary is going to be total bonus what 31 million somewhere around there. So you know, Andrew Thomas is not worried about his power bill for a little while. Definitely not, and I thought that may be. 
one of the most underrated picks in the draft just because I think, you know, we, we've all talked about it. We we know that Andrew Thomas is kind of a sure thing there. Uh, you know, nobody's a complete sure thing, but he's right there, man. I mean, he's just – he's he's got the perfect size. He's got the perfect – uh, skill set, the perfect mentality, the maturity. I, I think he's a plug-and-play guy, and I'm interested to see kind of where he he fits there for New York. Uh, Kip, any first-round impressions for you? Uh, anything stand out? Uh, I, I thought it was interesting just ha- seeing Isaiah Wilson go to the Titans at the end of the round. I don't think it was a pick that anyone had really projected as far as his actual landing spot. I thought – they talked about Josh Jones. They talked about, you know, Austin Jackson maybe. But I think when you look at Isaiah Wilson, at the end of the day, he just had more favorable physical tools. And, you know, as far as his level of play, I think he was, again, as we've said, getting better every day. So as far as that first-round grade, I mean, you're you're drafting for the future. And Isaiah Wilson, three years from now, you know, his upside is as high as any offensive lineman in the draft. So, you know, people can talk about his footwork. You can talk about how he handles speed off the edge. But when you look at Tennessee's offense, you know, they do a lot of play action. And I think it's a great fit for him. And when you look at him blocking for, you know, DeAndre Swift and now blocking for for Derrick Henry, I think, uh, you know, that. Derek's got to be pretty happy knowing he's got a guy like that that's coming in there and probably going to, you know, help him out a lot in the next couple of years and and help him as far as keeping that that contract intact and and keeping Tennessee's run game going. I think, you know, that that kind of just caught my eye. I think it's just a great fit for that franchise and one that that not a lot of people had really talked about before the draft, but now after you see the whole picture you know, it makes a lot of sense, and maybe we, we should have been talking about that as a good fit for him all along. Yeah, and, and Daniel Jeremiah actually had him projected to the Titans at 29, like, like the day of the draft, I guess. So I, I, I assume that may have been where he was catching some of that buzz from uh, when he was talking about the fact that Isaiah Thomas, sorry Isaiah Wilson, would be a uh, would be a first round pick, and and that looked like where he was kind of climbing to uh, I have to think that a guy like Mike Vrabel who played the edge there in the NFL and kind of dealt with some big guys and, and and stuff like that and obviously the game's changed a little bit since Mike Vrabel, Vrabel has been in the league but you got to think that that he was he was pretty in love with that the idea of having you know that guy as his right tackle because I mean just Isaiah Wilson guys I mean for those of you that that don't get a chance to see him or you've never really had a chance to see him up close I mean he is a he is a transcendently big human being. Like, I mean, and it's not bad weight. He's, you know, it's it's like if you ever watch Game of Thrones, he's kind of the the real life version or, or the or the everyman's version of the mountain. He's definitely not that big in real life. That guy, well, he's like four hundred pounds and is six eight or six nine, but uh, he's just massive. And and I think that that is going to appeal to a lot of teams. And I think that physical presence is something they're looking for there in the run game. One lesson I learned from the first round, and Rusty, you kind of hit it a little bit, but it's the fact that the margin of the the, the margin of difference, the, the the difference between these guys, is just so small. Because you know, I, I looked at the discussion on our board about the Clyde edwards elaire pick there with the with the thirty second pick overall, the 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 last pick of the first round, and 
Every, all the Georgia fans were, were just kind of like, man, this is crazy. You know, the, he's not, he's, you know, Swift's clearly better and all this stuff. And I'm just like, guys, it's never, it, when you're starting to talk about, you know, guys that are separated, separated by a round or separated even by two rounds, maybe even three rounds, the, the difference between these guys from one guy to the other is not massive. It's just not, and and you know it's not like a guy that gets taken you know mid second round is somehow extremely inferior to a guy taken mid first round. It's not viewed that way. It's just sometimes it's a, what have you done for me lately thing. Sometimes it may be one game. Maybe they looked at one game that Clyde Edwards Elaire played. Maybe they looked at the Alabama game and they were like, man, this guy can do this. He can do that. He can do it well. You know, there there are just a lot of different things you can look at, and the and the 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 margin that for error when you start talking about you know the difference between each guy is just so small that that you never know what you're gonna you know what's gonna happen in the nfl draft and and what might move a guy that's seventh or eighth on one team's board up to number two and 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 things like that so that's that's one of the lessons i think got reiterated in this draft and it was it was kind of boring early on in the first round and, and really didn't pick up i guess until that jordan love pick to uh to Green Bay and, and start to get really interesting. Uh, let's talk about the mid round. Yeah. Before we end, let me tell you this, and I've heard this from multiple sources that I would trust very much so. Had Isaiah Wilson been there for Kansas City, they were going to take him. So that certainly could have changed a lot of things in the next five or six picks. But had he been there, Kansas City had done their homework on Isaiah Wilson. Yeah, so I mean that that and that would have been a pretty cool landing spot there for him too because, uh, you know, I, they don't they don't run the ball as much. You know, they they don't they don't focus on the run as much, and so that would have been a very interesting landing spot because, I mean, he would have had to get you know better at the air at his weakness a lot quicker. I feel like, and uh, let's move on to the to kind of the middle rounds. I mean, obviously Solomon Kinley goes there in the fourth round. Got to got to talk about it. Jake Fromm slipping to the fifth. Um, I didn't see it as that big of a deal. I didn't see it as that massive of, of a surprise. I thought he would go right around that 100 window, and and uh, you know I thought with some of the buzz that was picking up about uh, you know quarterback coaches really liking him and and him being so impressive and and meetings and things like that that he might have a chance to rise up. But Rusty, what did you think about him going 167 overall? I think the first sign there was a problem when you really started looking at the draft. We all could do it, but my my twenty year old daughter started recognizing it as you go through the draft. You started seeing as you got past the first round and you got into the second, third, and fourth. There was only three or four teams that that remotely could be in the market for a quarterback, and we knew from talking to people. And I'll say it now: I did talk to his dad last week at once and one time and the saints the colts and tennessee were all talking to them the saints were the team that were really 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 dug in with jake from we thought that would be a good fit we all talked about that at that point when i talked to his dad last week new england hadn't talked to them at all so i felt like new england was out now when you go back and listen to the the, the general manager of buffalo they didn't talk to him much either they took him because they didn't had no idea he was going to drop that far, and they were not going to pass on him at that point. Now, the first sign I think that he was going to drop is when the Saints traded away their remaining picks. I think they traded away four picks, a five, six, seventh, maybe two in the seventh, 
Tennessee winds up taking a guy in the seventh. The Colts obviously took Jacob Eason in the fourth round, uh, about mid-fourth. So at that point, you're looking around going, who's going to take a quarterback? Everybody kept thinking New England was going to take one, but I don't think really Jake Fromm was a target of them. And when he fell to the fifth round, Buffalo said, you know what, we're not passing here. We're going to take him. But I think when the Saints decided to take that tight end, and now you look, uh, you know, they made a, a – a contract offer and uh I, I think uh i think Jameis winston has signed that deal if i'm correct kip uh, they're, they're, they they went that direction so i think those all those signs led to jake Fromm ending up in the fifth could have very well ended up maybe in the end of the third somewhere around there he did get a third round grade isaiah wilson got a third round grade but he wound up going the first round so you never truly really know uh, but you kind of have an idea uh, Jacob Eason had a second round grade, winds up going in the fourth round. Yeah, and, and you brought up a you, you hit on the Jameis Winston thing. That was something I read from Adam Sheffer that was really interesting to me. Is when they were talking about I think you start going into day three and Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm are still there. One of the things Adam Sheffer pointed out was the fact that hey, listen, you got two former number one draft picks that are sitting out there without a home right now. One of them was Jameis Winston, who is now signed with New Orleans. You got Cam Newton out there hanging out as well. So, you know, all of a sudden you're you're sitting there with these teams. Several teams are probably sitting here thinking, well, uh, Jameis Winston's out there and uh, and Cam Newton's out there. Do we want to take uh, another quarterback? Do we want to take a developmental quarterback like like Jake Fromm? Maybe would be a guy that needs some time. I'll say this: I heard I heard Trent Dilfer talking on uh, on on Ryan Rossillo's podcast, and and he was talking about kind of the the. Uh, the, the the Tua and Burrow thing and, and kind of the, the the top three guys there and Justin Abair. Uh, I always I always say Abair is Herbert, but he he talked about Jake Fromm and and he was you know he was adamant about the fact that he felt like Fromm, given a little bit of time, given a little time, given the right fit, could be a very good quarterback in the NFL. And he said starter. So you know Trent Dilfer is obviously human. He's missed before too, but he was the guy that called. You know, he called Jake Locker and and uh, and Christian Ponder and and Blaine Gabbert all bust before it ever happened, and and uh, so so he knows quarterbacks and he's very high on Tua Tua Tagovailoa. He's very high on Joe Burrow, and um, I, I'm I'm interested to see kind of how that plays out for Jake from whether it plays out there in Buffalo or or whether he's able to do some some good things early on there and kind of get himself to be able to move on a little bit. Uh, Kip, what was uh, what was kind of your impression of Jake from sliding there? I just think you got to go back to that combine. I mean, it it was it was not a good outing. I mean, you could argue it was the least impressive outing of all the quarterbacks. And while we all knew this wasn't going to be his strength, that still is the last time that NFL evaluators, other than Jake Fromm sneaking into Houston County Stadium and and trying to throw for guys, this is the last time they really got a good look at him. You know, without a pro day. He wasn't available to kind of throw to his guys, guys he'd be more comfortable with. So this was it. This was your picture of Jake Fromm, and you combine that with just how his junior season went, and the stock was not that high for him. And I just think that, like Rusty said, at that point in the draft, it's just about value. It wasn't so much about fit. Buffalo has a couple guys in the roster, and Matt Barkley. You got Davis Webb, but, you know, if, if you want to – if you want to uh, push Josh Allen, I mean, this is it gives you another opportunity. It gives you more competition back there. The value was too much for them 
to to overlook at that point. But I just think you, you look at that last season, you look at the combine, his stock w- was not on on the uptick right now. And uh, th- th- this is really what the NFL f- thought of, uh, of Jake Fromm. But it's it, like you said, it's not really a big difference. It's about there are only so many quarterback spots out there. It, you know, if, if a team really needed a backup quarterback, Jake Fromm probably would have gone late third round. Uh, but they, they didn't really need him. And, I mean, you get to that stage, is Jake Fromm right now better than a Jameis Winston, a guy who threw for 5,000 yards a year ago? You know, is Jake Fromm a guy who could throw for 5,000 yards in the NFL? That's, that's really tough for me to answer. I, I don't know. So I, I think at that stage, you're looking at a guy who – can push your backup quarterbacks, be a rock-solid rock backup quarterback, and maybe down the road he can start a couple games and, and win you a couple games, you know, if you need him to. But I think this is this is who Jake Fromm is, and he has a chance to make a lot of money in NFL in that role. But, I mean, I don't think we learned anything new from the draft that we didn't already know going in. Yeah, I'm with you there. And, and you know, again, later than I thought, I was wrong, okay? I, willing to admit that, wrong by over 50 picks. Uh, but, you know, that that's kind of how it can go in those middle rounds. It starts to get pretty unpredictable there in those mid rounds. It, it, it's one of those things where if you can call it, you know, if you can call it for the draft begins, you know, if a guy's going to go 111 overall like I think Solomon McKinley did, then good on you, man. But, but let's not pretend like it was a – it was a real strong, strongly supported, educated guess. It's usually just a guess at that point. But I, I'll say this: um, you know, I do think that that it's not the best fit for him in the world based on what we know. But I do think that if you're Buffalo, one thing you've got to be thinking about here is you're like, hey, this guy can come in, show what he can do, win the backup quarterback job. They've got a quarterback who plays a very physical brand of football and puts himself out there a lot. Okay, and Jake Fromm has shown you. As a rookie and at the college level, as a freshman at the college level, that he can kind of be ready for his moment. He, that preparation is kind of where he's good, and and uh, you know they're going to have to clean up some some things as far as his you know footwork and everything goes. Some stuff that I didn't even understand in college, uh, but but I've kind of been able to watch some videos and kind of figure some of that out. And I think he's I think he's got a little bit more raw ability in the tank that can kind of get fixed with a technician and, and maybe when it's his full-time job and we'll have a full-time quarterback coach that he can work with all the time. But, uh, you know, obviously I think that he, you know, he only went four picks later than Aaron Murray did for crying out loud, you know, so, you know, several years ago, I guess 2014 NFL draft. So, uh, the very, very similar Aaron Murray went number 163 overall and, and Jake Fromm went 167, uh, Charlie Warner, uh, surprise uh, me a little bit. You know, I, I don't didn't think it was completely out of the question, but he wasn't one of the guys that we thought was we were confident in getting drafted. Gets taken 190 overall by the by the 49ers, and and you know they took a guy in the fifth round a couple years ago, and George Kittle, who kind of panned out well for him. Uh, so I, I thought that was an interesting pick, and then obviously Tay Crowder there at 255, uh, Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to go full disclosure here. Um, I'm sitting there watching it. I'm, I'm itching to go. I'm ready to for the draft to be over so that we can chase undrafted free agents and uh, and I can go you know go snag some dinner, uh, bring it back home and, and kind of chill out from from you know get kind of a break from the draft. And then all of a sudden you know the lady who announced this said you know Tay and I just for some reason knew in that specific moment she was about to say Crowder. She did and 
you know, I was I was extremely happy for the kid. That that's one of the cooler stories that's come through Georgia in a while. Uh, which one surprised you guys the most? Uh, start with you, Rusty. Uh, was it was it Charlie Warner? Or was it Tay Crowder? You know, I think it was Tay Crowder because um, you know I think we all know Charlie Warner what type of athlete he is and what he can you know potentially do. Um, I, I expect him to have a pretty good professional career, barring injury. Uh, and get somewhere, it looks like they get the ball around to the tight ends there, so it should be a good spot for him. But Tay going, and when I did research on it, you know, I was told that the NFL teams were calling most of the day on Sunday, uh, talking with the Georgia staff, you know, hey, we want this guy as a free agent, we want this guy. And I think maybe the Giants kind of caught wind that they may have a hard time getting him uh, as a free agent, so they went ahead and made the pick for him and just – just good for him, man. You know that story coming in as a running back. Came in late in that class. I'll never forget going to see Jordan Jenkins in 2011 and them having that freshman, little freshman wide receiver that played a little bit. Saw them play down at Whitewater one night. And um, just a great story for Tay Crowder. You could tell by the reaction, Glenn Schumann's Instagram story. You could tell by the, the tweets and Instagrams from the players that, man, just a very, very well-liked kid. Uh, beat the odds and became an NFL draft. Uh, got picked and selected in NFL draft, and regardless where he got drafted, he got drafted. He's going somewhere where where his coach will be familiar with him and Kevin Share, former Georgia linebacker coach. So, just a uh, great opportunity for him, and that that was a great story. But it did surprise me. Yeah, it is a great story, man, and that's that's the fun part about it. Is uh, you know you hit on something, Rusty, that that I've. It, for some reason or another, never I never wrote or never really put it out there, but it's something I had kind of noticed over the course of his career, and it's the fact that he is he is like borderline beloved by teammates. Like he is a guy that they that is very well liked on that team, and, and that has always kind of been. Uh, and I think it probably goes back to his scout team days. If you want, if you want to kind of get into it, is is he was kind of a scout team. Uh, do-it-all type guy. He played a bunch of different positions over there. He worked hard. I want to say he was scout team player of the year, maybe the year that he redshirted or the next year, and, and that earns you a lot of clout with teammates. Uh, Kip, uh, Charlie Warner or, or Tay Crowder, which one are you more surprised got picked? I, if you would have told me two years ago that Charlie Warner is only going to catch 20 passes over his junior and senior year and he's going to get drafted, I mean, I would have taken that bet every time. I think it's just uh, a testament to not only his ability as a, tre a tremendous run blocker, but also, I mean, that Cal Shanahan offense, he, he loves him some tight ends. So a guy that can, you know, really help out in the underneath passing game and potentially, I mean, play some H-back, fullback, I think that's a role that he could really, you know, he can get himself a second contract with that for sure. So just the fact that Seeing Charlie just not put up the prolific numbers that you know he would have wanted, remembering that he didn't catch that. His only touchdown catch came in that game against Georgia Tech, senior night. Uh, I believe it was uh, the weather. It was raining, you know, walking out with his family and then catching that touchdown pass. Well, I actually, Kip, that was uh, that was I think Georgia Tech was on the road, so it was senior night was Texas A&M this past year. So that's right. Yeah. That's right. This the the catching the one the one touchdown catch though I, I think it was against Georgia Tech though that he that he caught yeah. the, the touchdown yeah pass. it definitely was it was and then yeah but then 
you know, just just having that that moment be kind of the the pinnacle of his, I guess, his career statistically, but still being able to get drafted. I think it's it's also a testament to just the level of competition Georgia plays. You have enough good film out there, you know, an NFL team is is going to give you a chance. And I, I think he, you know he's got an opportunity out there behind George Kittle. There there isn't a lot of depth. That was a position that the 49ers really. Uh, it was an emphasis this offseason. I mean, they made a big run at Austin Hooper. I remember that just as a Falcons fan, knowing that the 49ers were trying to get in on him and they weren't able to, to get that done. So there's obviously an opportunity there. And, and I think, uh, you know, if anyone's going to get out there and get after it, it, it's Charlie. He's never complained. He, effort's never really been an issue with him. So, uh, you know, uh, excited for him and excited to see what he can do out there. When your coach calls you the ultimate team player in his kind of congratulation congratulation video, I, I mean, I don't know if you're if if you're somebody that that you know kind of didn't put up the big numbers. I don't know what what more praise you could want than than a coach being able to tell you something like that. I, I still think the biggest surprise is Tay. I, I never. Uh, you know, once the season was over and kind of you start kind of seeing where everything's falling and aligning, I just never really even considered him to get drafted. I thought he had a chance before the year. I didn't think he had a particularly big year. I thought it was a good year, but I, I didn't think he had the type of year he needed to be drafted early. It ended up being, I think, a semifinalist for the Buckus Award, and and he didn't. But but I thought he might be have a 10-12 tackle for a loss type of year, and because uh, he had six the year before, and and was really spending a lot of time in the backfield. Didn't quite do that. Still played really well. Still had a starting job all year long, despite having some really talented young guys behind him. But I just didn't think he was going to get drafted, and it wouldn't have surprised me if he'd have made some made some noise as an undrafted free agent. Let's jump into that real quick, and guys. I start with you, Kip. JRE didn't get drafted, and I think that was maybe the biggest surprise of the draft for me. Where, where does it stand for you? Huge. I, I thought he was going to be at, at at the latest. I thought he'd be a fifth round pick. I thought he had a chance to go in the fourth, uh, and it you know it, it, it shocked me. Uh, I think that he had. I mean, he had years upon years of great film for Georgia. I mean, he started basically every game since he got to Georgia and played at a high level, you know, his, during his entire time after coming in and, and transferring in from uh, from Tulsa. I think what wasn't really like about him as far as just getting depth on that back end, if he needed help in the safety group, I know that, again, the measurables weren't top of the chart, but there were some guys that got drafted before him. I mean – Obviously, he didn't get drafted. I'm just saying there were guys that got drafted that tested worse than he did at the Combine. So other than the only thing I could really think about it with him was, was the age, with him being 25 and, and being one of the older guys overall in the draft that had to have played a role. But, I mean, I saw after the draft, his, you know, his father talked about uh, to one outlet that his uh, injury in high school uh, played a role in, in teams as far as medical red flags and that's just shocking to me because again the guy didn't miss a game at georgia you know the, uh, until the very end and it had nothing to do with any serious you know serious injuries he, he was as healthy as could be for georgia and played outstanding football from start to finish uh, I, I thought he was definitely a draftable player so i mean that was an even bigger shock than charlie getting drafted by far it was just jr reed not coming off the board at some point during that draft. 
Rusty, what's your take on that? I think the biggest thing that kind of hurt uh, J.R. Reed, just, just talking to some people this week, was obviously the you know, the medical part with the ACL. I don't know how much that played into it because he had a lot of tape at Georgia uh, playing games. Maybe it's you know, worried about a degenerative knee or something. I'm not sure at all. But you know, one of the things that kind of hurt was him not covering a lot of wide receivers. A lot of times you see him covering the tight ends and uh, the hybrid type guys for for Georgia, and that's just part of their defense. And um, you know, he's not the biggest bulk frame. He is uh, he is a he is a pretty sure tackler, but you know, he kind of drags guys down. And listen, I'm I'm talking to some NFL people, and this is what they're telling me. So I mean, I'm not 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 trying to. Um, you know, be the, the upset Georgia fan. I'm just telling you what I'm hearing and why that happened. I do think that J.R. Reed's going to end up playing in the NFL because uh, he is a smart player. Uh, he is an instinctive player, and he's beat the odds. Listen, look at look at the odds of him coming to Georgia and actually playing, why they, what they were doing recruiting-wise. And this guy got there, and Jake, you know as well as I do, as soon as he got there a couple of weeks after and about halfway through that season, we started hearing some buzz about, hey, the JRE kid is, is real deal. So he winds up playing for Georgia and starting, you know, X amount of games. And uh, he's going to play the NFL. I don't know exactly why, but that was some of the things I was told. Uh, you don't see him in coverage a lot, one-on-one wide receivers. Uh, plays a lot of the half field in the zone. So, you know, they, they start separating things, as you said earlier, Jake. They start making separations on things, and and uh, he kind of failed to undraft it. Yeah, and, and just kind of a tweener, I guess, at the safety position, like you pointed out. Um, not really big enough to, to or, or a big enough striker to consider a strong safety guy and not really a, a coverage-heavy type player that, that you feel real comfortable leaving there in the back half and doing that. But you're absolutely right, man. I mean, it, 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 maybe maybe three or four weeks you started hearing, like, Sarah Reed may play next year. And even then I didn't believe it. I believe kind of maybe – you know, you set the over-under at 15 games he'll ever start at Georgia. I probably would have took the under. And then, I don't know, he just goes and starts like 40, what, two, 43 in a row. I mean, it's just – it's insane. And I, I do think he's going to have a chance. I'm a, I've said it on this podcast, big J.R. Reed fan. Uh, let's take a break real quick, and uh, then we're going to come back on the other side, talk recruiting, uh, jump into the commitment of Elijah Judy, and, and kind of roll through what's going on in recruiting right now and what could be next. Uh, but, uh, yeah, let's jump into this break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, going into the break, I said we were going to talk about Elijah Judy, but I, we forgot to cover one other topic, and that's the fact that, that there's going to be an NFL draft next year and Georgia's going to have some guys that are going to be drafted high. Uh, let's run through this real quick. Rusty, next year, who's your – 
Yeah, who is your number one draft pick for Georgia? Who's the guy you feel confident for a fact will get drafted in the first round in 2021? I don't know that I feel like like we knew Andrew Thomas was, and, and going into this time last year, probably felt like DeAndre Swift was, and um, you know there was some talk of Jake Fromm through some places, so we didn't really know the situation there. But looking at it right now, I'm not sure Georgia has a clear cut number one. They got a lot of guys going to get drafted, though I believe. You look at this, and I think. Um, you know, you start seeing some of these early um, projections and Richard LeCount's a guy that is going to be a senior, is a really, really good player. Here's the thing about Richard. Richard's not going to run well. I'm, and, and I'm not saying run well. I'm saying Richard's not going to be a burner. And you look at a guy like Xavier McKinney, who's a outstanding football player from Roswell High School in Alabama. What did he go early second round, mid-second? Is that what he wound up going um, and, and the reason why he didn't run well, you know, he ran like a four, six, three, four, six, two at the combine. And that kind of knocked him out of the first round. So I think that's where Richard to me is going to be. He's going to be an early second round guy according to how he works out. Uh, Richard's going to run. He's going to be a four, six flat kid, four, six, five, maybe. Uh, he's not a burner. Richard is a head hunter. He is instinctive. Uh, you know, and he's always around the football. We all know that. And he loves the game. So that's what's going to make him a very highly touted player. Now, the, the original question, I think Eric Stokes is the guy that's got a chance because when you look at Eric Stokes, you know, he's six foot one and a half. He's played man-to-man, knows how to play press, can't play off, uh, pretty good tackler, ball skills are there. Every time a ball is completed on Eric Stokes, I mean, it has to be a has to be a damn good throw. And he he's all over. Even the touchdown he gave up, went back and looked, the touchdown he gave up against Alabama in the SEC Championship game, he's hanging all over the guy. The guy makes a great play. Uh, so you look at him and what he's going to do. We all know what he's going to do with the combine. He is going to blow that thing up, probably going to run a sub 4-4. Uh, be I'd be very surprised if he didn't run sub 4-4. He's talking about a kid that ran 10-400 in high school. So uh, now he knows how to play defense. I wrote a story yesterday. He played mostly offense in high school. 1,500 all-purpose yards, 21 touchdowns. So this is a guy I think that's going to continue to grow uh, among among scouts and when they get a chance to look at him, he's put on some good way. I really think Eric Stokes is going to have a pretty good chance of being the highest drafted Georgia Bulldog next year when they go to Cleveland, by the way, which you go to Nashville, would have been Vegas, and all of a sudden now you're in Cleveland. So I'll take it anywhere, but I will say this. The last note in the draft I thought was very cool the way they did it. Uh, getting to see some of the raw emotion from people, but uh, I think Eric Stokes got a chance to be a first-round draft pick. I'm going with the other cornerback, Rusty, and, and it's because I think Tyson Campbell, you look at those 100-meter uh, numbers and Tyson Campbell's right there with Stokes. I think he's a guy that has a chance to run a sub 4-4. Love that size. I mean, he's a big dude, and and he's a knockback tackler at cornerback doing that, and I think he's going to have to put together a year like his first three games this past year and, and kind of how he finished his sophomore season. But I, Tyson Campbell's the guy I think – Listen, if you're talking about a Georgia guy that has a chance to creep up into the top ten or maybe a guy that has a chance to be number one at his position, he's not that going into the year. Let's make that clear right now. Big big junior season, I think Tyson Campbell has a chance to be the number one cornerback off the board in next year's draft because those measurables are outrageous. I mean, you're talking about a true six-foot-two guy, around 200 pounds, big, physical, fast, uh, he, he came a long way from year one to year two, makes the same improvement from year two to year three. 
I, I think he's got a chance to be the number one Georgia player off the board and, and maybe Georgia's best opportunity to have a top five or a top ten pick. Uh, where are you going, Kip? So this is what it feels like to go third. This is a, it's a different <laughs> feeling. I, I I usually get the, the the first crack, and I always take the easiest one. And, man, when Rusty said Eric, I thought for sure he was going Tyson Campbell on that one. So the, this is a new feeling for me. But, you know, I am I am not going to go quarterback because I just – I'm for one, I'm not going to put that on a guy we haven't seen play before. Uh, we'll, we'll just see how that unfolds. I got to go with – the guy, I think, when it comes time for that combine, is going to just blow it up more than anyone else. And everyone's going to be writing about him like they've never heard of him before. They're going to be falling in love with him. And, and that's got to be Ben Cleveland. I mean, the, the combine was made for a guy like him. He's going to show up there. He's going to have those, uh, you know, the the track shorts on, the compression shorts. Uh, he's, he, you know, he could he could run that 40 shirtless and, and you know, He'd be fine with it, you know. Me, on the other hand, and it would not be a pretty sight. Him, he's gonna be fine. Six six, three hundred and thirty five, three hundred and forty pounds. I mean, there are very few guys you could say is a freakish athlete at that size. He's definitely one of them. I mean, we just know that during the testing portion of the combine, he's going to really stand out. He's gonna help his cause, and I mean, he he's not just a combine guy. He, He's a pretty good football player as well. He's one of the best pass-protecting uh, right guards uh, I've seen in the last couple of years. I thought he's done a, a, an outstanding job so far at Georgia. He's got already has plenty of good tape for Georgia. I mean, I think he's uh, started, what, f- is it 14 games so far in, in the, the last three years? So I think going into this season, he's already got good tape. He's got a chance to have great tape. And I mean, a new offensive line coach, you know, it could go either way. But, you know, I have to think that Matt Luke's going to know what to do with, with a guy like Ben Cleveland and going to put him in situations to, to really stand out. Uh, as far as the position's concerned, you know, offensive guard, there was not one taken in the first round this year. There was a center taken. The, the first guard came off the board, I think, pick number 39, Robert Hunt out of Louisiana. Went to the Dolphins, but at the same time, I think that Ben's got a chance to really make a name for himself, stand out in the crowd, and, and really uh, improve his stock uh, with a lot of NFL front offices this year, I think. Anchoring that new-look offensive line, not having uh, a couple of first-round offensive tackles out there, he's going to be kind of that focal point and a chance to really, to really assert himself as one of the best-in-tier offensive linemen in the country. Interesting pick, man. Interesting pick, and I, I'm with you. I think we're all kind of excited to kind of see what Ben Cleveland does at, at the NFL Combine, and and uh, yeah, he's he's a freak, and he's going to do hit the, the bench and the forty and all that stuff are going to be right up his alley. Uh, let, let's hit recruiting here here at the end of the show, and let's talk about Elijah Judy, and you know Georgia adds four star defensive end. Uh, out of uh, out of Philadelphia, he is a fantastic looking prospect. Reminds me a lot of Aziz Ojolari on tape. But Rusty, you know a lot more about him than than I do. Can you just talk about him as a prospect. What's Georgia getting? You know, I like that comparison. Here's the difference between what him and Aziz coming in. Aziz was not, uh, you know, he was a two twenty guy. He never really got big until he got into late in his senior year. Then got to college, and now he's kind of blew up after a redshirt year. Uh, Judy's a 246-pound defensive end slash outside linebacker. And I think what Georgia likes with him is they can stand him up and play him outside. I think he's got 
you know, some of that Davin Bellamy where you can rush him off the edge, stand him up, or he can play down that five technique on a three, four defensive end. So you're getting a multi player here. I do think he's going to play mostly standing up here at Georgia, but when you look at him, he definitely can put his hand in the ground like they tend to do a lot. Uh, in fact, I was watching uh, some of the Baylor game the other night replay and didn't quite realize how much Nolan Smith had his hand in the ground a lot of times, especially in the second half. So you look at those players, you get a 246-pound guy that obviously this Philadelphia connection. You know, He knew DeAndre Swift and his dad and that family, so Mark Webb, that kind of connection there. So Georgia going all over the country again, and they go into Philadelphia, which has been really good to them lately, uh, and they go and get a player like this. And uh, Dan Lanning, uh, lead recruiter there, continues uh, to do big things. Man, Dan Lanning with that hire, it, it, not only the recruiter, but the coach he is and what he's doing and a young guy, sky's the limit for him. And this this guy might wind up being a head coach quicker than a lot of us thought. Yeah, he's he's definitely recruiting uh, recruiting his tail off, and and one of the things that kind of uh, you you brought up that about the weight, and that's absolutely true. Um, I, I wonder, you know, they, those types of guys, defensive ends, a huge need for Georgia in this class. I wonder if you grab a guy like that, knowing that hey, outside linebackers also a position you want to recruit heavily, and and this is a guy who can kind of swing back and forth for you there and do multiple things, and that's that's kind of an important type role. Uh, you know, Brenton Cox did it for Georgia as a freshman. Uh, you brought up Davin Bellamy who did it. Jordan Jenkins did it before that. You know, that's with Jeremy Pruitt and and uh, and those guys used him in that role. So he he could absolutely fit that. Kip, anything to add there on on Judy as a prospect? Yeah, I, I like his, his, you know, the versatility there, whether he's standing up, whether you need him to drop back into coverage a little bit. I think, you know, he, he brings a lot to the table. I think when you, when you talk about Dan Lanning and he's kind of shooting for the stars here at that, that defensive end position, I mean, we we can't skip over the fact that the, the top prospect in the country just reopened his recruitment. Corey Foreman out in California. Clemson hadn't had a decommitment since 2016, and, and the first one is is the number one prospect in the country. That's kind of a doozy to break that streak, but it was something that we had heard you know, we had heard this could, could be happening for, for a couple of weeks now. And it, it's a prospect that Georgia is definitely heavily involved with. And, and Dan Lanning and, and that co- Georgia coaching staff have been recruiting Corey Foreman nonstop. And they've got, they've got an opportunity there. He's going to, you know, take his visits. And at this point, we think, you know, Georgia's in that, that top five and really, you know, has a chance to potentially be a true competitor in his recruitment everyone's pointing to usc the in-state program it seems like he's pretty open to, to leaving the state though so i would say that you know obviously lsu's heavily involved and and alabama as well but but i think Georgia's really a team to watch here with Corey foreman i mean he had the very strong quotes when he decommitted he, he talked when asked about georgia he said that he almost committed to georgia when he visited there and so i mean i think that's that's that a pretty strong quote there on, on how legitimate his interest is in the, in the Bulldogs. And I mean, that, that is a guy when you talk about trying to, to get some help at that position, six, four, 265 pounds, he could be a true impact defensive end, stand up rush linebacker for Georgia and, and really do a lot of things in that defense. So that's a recruitment. We're obviously going to be paying a lot more attention to as far as this recruiting cycle. And it's just, 
it's just refreshing to be talking about recruiting again. I mean, there's a lot going on uh, right now in the cycle, even though there aren't a lot of visits going on. The, these college coaches are really continuing to communicate with guys, and, and there's some big-time targets that could be announcing their decisions pretty soon. So I, I just think it's it's uh, refreshing to be be talking about you know actual football recruiting and, and things that could be affecting the Georgia program. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and Georgia's actually done a phenomenal job, I feel like, recruiting during this whole, you know, coronavirus shutdown. Uh, you know, they I think we're you know, we're looking at maybe like four commitments at this point since this all went down. Uh they're they're leading in the two four seven sports crystal ball for, for guys like Brock Bowers and and uh, uh the Ferguson kid out of Peach County. Rusty, you recently dropped a crystal ball for him. And that's something we're going to get into next show. That's something we're going to kind of jump into and dig a little bit more into is where Georgia is trending as far as recruiting. But for this one, we're kind of out of time. Uh, we'll be back with you guys on Sunday. Going to jump back going to twice a week uh, from here on out for the Junkyard Dogcast. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe rate review the podcast we want to hear from you we want to hear what you got to say we want to hear the the good the bad and the ugly let us know how you feel about the podcast we're really interested to hear it and uh we'll uh we'll see you guys next week thanks so much for listening i'm jake Rowe with dogs 24 7 they're kip adams and rusty mansell and this is the junkyard dogcast everybody take it easy